0: Good Morning, everybody. Good morning. Good morning, everybody online. We're happy you could join us. This is week three of our series, Biggest Butts in the Bible. And I have to confess, I have thoroughly enjoyed the tongue in teak title of our series. It has brought me a great deal of satisfaction to stand up here and make a butt entendre again and again and again this week. But not everybody's been convinced about the significance of big butts in the Bibles. And sometimes we just need to hear an outside voice to confirm for us the significance of something. And so, I want to lend to you an outside voice that maybe gives some validity to our series. See, I'm not the only preacher who is fascinated by big butts in the Bible. It's a whole thing, guys. Uh, This is actually a comedian, um, and Dylan, our facilities manager, he found this video. He contacted this guy and said, hey, we're going to do a series along these same lines in a couple of months. He thought it was awesome, and it is awesome. Big butts in the Bible are awesome, and the bigger, the better. And today, we're going to continue looking at big butts. Now, if this is your first time with us, welcome, right? right. I promise you, we are not as weird as maybe you think we are. We've been in this series for a few weeks now called Biggest Butts in the Bible. And in the book of Ephesians, there are several transformations and changes that God works in us through the power of the gospel. And those changes all hinge on the word but, that conjunction, B-U-T. You were this, but... Now you are this. Those kinds of transformations. And today we're continuing by looking at the third big but in the book of Ephesians. It comes to us in chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles with you, why don't you open up to Ephesians chapter 4. If you don't have your Bible with you, that's okay. We can follow along on the screens to the side, or you can download the FCC Monmouth app to your mobile device, tap the Sunday button in the bottom right-hand corner, and you'll find sermon notes along with our passage pulled up, ready for you to engage with and get the most out of our time together. So, the book of Ephesians, we call it a book, but in reality, it's a letter. Uh, It's a letter written by somebody named Paul. He was commissioned by Jesus to go and preach the gospel and plant churches in the first century, and Paul is writing to the church in the ancient city of Ephesus, hence the name Ephesians. And in this letter, he's, he's pretty typical of his style. We have several of his letters in the New Testament. He'll spend the first half of the letter really developing theology, and doctrine, and belief statements, and these teaching things we all gravitate towards and really take deeply into our hearts. And then somewhere around the middle of the letter, he'll change directions a little bit, and he'll start to focus more on application, and how do we take these beliefs and then put them into practice in our lives and in our communities. And chapter 4 in Ephesians is that turning point for us this morning. This is the shift where we start to enter into more practical, everyday kind of applications. And as we we look at what he's going to start to apply, we're going to draw from last week's message. If you weren't here to hear it, don't worry about it. You're not going to be lost. But he's going to start to apply the teaching from last week in part two of our series. And it was basically this. The church is supposed to be God's example of unity to a divided world. The church is this very diverse thing. It, it, It consists of people of different backgrounds and heritages and mindsets and And we're all very diverse, but we're brought together under one umbrella by the power of Jesus. Because I'm a sinner in need of God's grace through Christ. You're a sinner in need of God's grace through Christ. We all stand on equal footing here. And As we heard last week, God put his arm around those who were far off and those who were near, and he brought them together into one new humanity, one new group, into a unity. That was the teaching from last week, and as we look at Ephesians today, Paul's going to start to apply this for us and help us see that unity is something that has to be expressed through action. We've affirmed this verbally, like we've all said, we're one church, you know, we're one body, we stand together under Jesus, and that's great, but eventually, if there isn't some action to support those words, the words start to ring a little hollow, right? Right? There's some things that just have to be expressed and backed up through our efforts. For example, in my house, and this is a very unique thing to our family and our household. I know this doesn't apply to anybody else. But in our house, my wife has this list of things for me to get done around the house. Um, It's called the honeydew list. That's a joke. We can laugh, right? Okay, there's a honeydew list in every house. Let's be honest. Even if you're single, you got a honeydew list. There's always something to get done. So she has this list of stuff. And she says, hey, this needs to get done. And I always say, I will get it done eventually, right? That's how it goes. And she believes me. She believes those words. For a while, they have weight. But eventually, if there's no action to back those words up, she starts to press a little bit. She says, hey, remember, we need to get this thing hung and this doorknob changed and and whatever's on the list. I go, I know, I know. I haven't forgot. I'll get to it eventually, right? And that's when she really starts to press. If there's no action to back those words up, she says, hey, I'm going to call somebody and hire them to come do this. And, I'm, No, no, it's fine. It's fine. I'll get it done, right? I'm not going to pay somebody to do simple things around my house. She knows how to get it done. But that's what we're talking about here. You, you can say something and you can mean it. It can be true. But eventually, if there is an action to back it up, those words start to ring a little hollow. That's where our passage is coming from this morning. We've been saying, hey, we are one. We are united under the banner of Jesus. But unity is one of those things that has to be expressed through action. Let's look at chapter 4, verse 1. It starts to get developed here. It says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. So this is, like we said, the, the part of the letter where he starts to call us to action. And verse 1 really is the big overarching call. Live a life worthy of the calling you've received. And the calling that he's talking about there references back to what we spoke about earlier, that new humanity that Christ has made. Live differently. Live like you are united in one new humanity, one new family. There's a call to action here. And there are powerful things that bind us together in this family that we read about at the end of that section. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one spirit. There's one God and Father of all who's over all and in all and through all. There are powerful things that bind us together. But again... Simply saying we are one, eventually those words are going to ring hollow if there isn't something to back it up. And one of the ways that we express our unity and we live in unity actually comes in verse two here. It's attitudinal application, how we relate to one another and think of one another and treat one another. We read it, be completely patient, or be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. If you want to summarize that, you could probably borrow the language from last week's call to action. Assume the best of one another. It's really easy to assume that somebody intended to offend or that somebody would intentionally transgress you or to assume the worst of people, when in reality, it may be a mistake. It may be a misunderstanding. It may be a misinterpretation. It requires some humility and some patience to assume the best of somebody else. It assumes that we are going to love each other enough to give each other the benefit of the doubt. This is one way we can start to apply our unity or live it out, is through our, our attitudes towards one another. And I chose that application last week because I knew we were going to be preaching from this passage today, and I wanted us to have some opportunity to start experiencing those attitudinal applications before we got here this morning, because that's all the attention we're going to give to it. We don't have time to really focus on that. Love each other, assume the best of each other, we know what to do there. And the reason we're going to keep moving is because there's an even, I don't want to say more important, but a more immediate and powerful application and expression that we need to give our time and attention to today. Because the way we think of each other, the way we treat one another, that's very important. But Paul's going to talk about this expression of unity that involves our individual responsibilities. Because we've been saying the church is one, the church is a unified body, and yet, what we're going to read here is that the church is also a place where we all have an individual responsibility. As individuals, there's something we're called to do. And that may seem like a weird juxtaposition. We're talking about one and an overall and a unity, and yet we're going to focus on an individual calling here. So let's look and keep reading in our passage. Let's back up to verse 5. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who's over all and through all and in all. So unity, right? One together but and there's our big magic three-letter word and this is a really big but okay we're all one but to each one of us so you might say individually grace has been given as christ apportioned it this is why it says when he ascended on high he took many captives and gave gifts to his people Now, we're all one, we're all equal recipients of God's saving grace. We're all equal recipients of Jesus' sacrifice, okay? That's not the kind of grace that's being spoken of here. What's being spoken of is grace in its most basic meaning, an undeserved gift. Each of us have received an undeserved gift in the proportion that Christ determined, because it seems to imply we all have a different responsibility or a different calling, in the church. We're all one, we're all unified, but each of us has an individual responsibility, and Jesus has equipped us for that. If you want to think about it in terms of a body, as we read that there, the body has many, many parts, right? And all of them have a different job and different function. And when the body is healthiest, when it's most active and thriving, when it's at its fullest potential, it's when all the different parts and organs and everything are doing their individual jobs, But what happens to the overall health of a body if, like, your kidneys stop working? Well, the whole body suffers, right? Or if, you know, like, you're going along and and your liver just quits or your heart stops. If if one of the parts of the body ceases to function and fulfill its individual responsibility, the overall well-being of the entire body suffers, doesn't it? Let's look at a different angle, though. Let's go back to kidneys. I don't know why I chose kidneys. I just did we got two kidneys, okay? Let's say one kidney is functioning just fine, but just one kidney stops, right? We're still going to live. We can still be healthy, but there's going to be precautions we have to take, right? That one kidney, it's going to have to work extra hard in order to pick up the slack that the other kidney isn't fulfilling. There's going to be difficulty here. The body's not going to thrive as much as it could in that scenario, even though it continues to live and be healthy. And here's where I'm going with this. This this is a great picture of the church in general. Because there's one body. There's one church. We are united under the banner of Jesus. But there's so many different individual parts sitting with us today or watching us online. And every single one of us, and don't think that, let's just pause there. When I say us and you, I don't mean like the kind of you that applies to the person sitting next to you or that person in your head where you're like, man, I wish they were here today. I mean you. You. Me, every single one of us has received a gift, an undeserved gift of grace that Jesus has entrusted to us to fulfill and to work out within the context of His church. And when we all function and seize that opportunity, the church is healthy and thrives and grows. But if one of those parts does not fulfill its function, does not fulfill its individual responsibility to the overall body, then the health declines. It doesn't thrive as easily. We may keep going like if we got one kidney, but but how much healthier could we be? And the reason I bring this up is because I look at our church and I see it is a healthy church today. Whatever metric we want to use, if you want to talk about missions engagement, we're very engaged in missions. If you want to look at local outreach, we reach into our community. We only have plans to continue to to further those outreach efforts. If you want to look at finances, we're a healthy church. If you want to look at discipleship engagement, we have an above average engagement in small groups for a church our size in our region. I mean, whatever metric you want to look at, we are a healthy church. And yet, when I look at the different ministries in our church and the work that gets done, I see a lot of the same faces doing a lot of those functions. And you've probably heard the, the statistic, like 20% of the people do 80% of the work, and I don't know if that percentage is true here or not. What I know is that when I read the New Testament here, I see this, this truth. That every single one of us has been entrusted with a little bit of grace from God for this purpose. And yet I see a lot of the same faces doing a lot of these things around here. And I just wonder, how much healthier could our church be? If we as faithful people took this seriously and said, I want to contribute to the health of the body. Like, how much further could our impact be if every single part of the body functioned and came together to serve? There are different roles in the body, right? I mean, sometimes we can think of as the church elders or the church staff or the minister. That's the person that does the ministry of the church. But I want to look at verse 12 again. Pay real close attention here. There are different parts, and there are different gifts. Sorry, I forgot to read that part. Let's start at verse 11 and read that. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip people for works of service. That's verse 12. So we have all these roles, the pastor, the elders, the church, you know, and what's their job there? It's to equip, equip his people for works of service. It's not to do the ministry of the church is to equip the church to do the ministry of the church. And that's, that's really important to notice because if I were responsible for all the ministry of this church, guys, we would not be a healthy church. We probably would not be a unified church. I have this bad habit when I get stressed out, I go into my way or highway mode, which always goes over well, right? I would not be a good person to do all the ministry of this church. And thankfully, that's not the role that God's called me to. My role is to equip and to help and to guide, and and we as a church together, each individual part, our job is to come together and use that grace that God has committed to us to serve Him and do that ministry. It's a wonderful, wonderful calling that we've received, and when we do this, we build the church up in unity together. And I just think, again, how much healthier could our church be? I think of our, those small groups. We talked about small group engagement. We have an above-average engagement uh, in our small groups ministries for church our size in our region. I think it's somewhere around 50 to 60%. That's pretty good. But what would our church look like if the people equipped to lead or to serve or to guide a conversation were like, yeah, I want a partner. I want to, I want to get involved and lead a group. I'll tell you, we, we would be a lot more connected as a church And I suspect we would probably grow deeper in our understanding of Scripture. We have this situation right now where we have a lot of people interested in small groups, which is great. We don't have as many people that are interested in in joining the ministry and leading. In fact, confession time, I'm probably not supposed to say this. But this fall, during our annual small group push to get people signed up, I kind of hoped people wouldn't sign up to get involved. Because I wasn't confident we had a place to put everybody, and I didn't want to make a waiting list. We, uh, we, we try to keep our small groups around 10 people. Right now, our average is about 13, and we have one group that has 16 people on average, 17 if everybody shows up. Like that's, they're, they're planting a church over there. And I just wonder, man, our small groups, if we had a few more people, they're like, yes, I can lead a discussion. Yes, I can lead a group. How much healthier would that ministry be if all the parts came together? Or I think about our kids' ministry. Um, Kathy right now, in fact, this, this morning, she kind of had to scramble to find an extra teacher. Because we have a shortage of people that are willing to work with our kids, uh, and people that are willing to go on a monthly rotation. And it's not because we don't have people capable. We just have people that, for whatever reason, maybe aren't aware, or aren't engaging, or using that gift that God's given them. And I just can't help but think, how much healthier would our children's ministry look? How much happier would our teachers be if they weren't constantly going on two-month rotations, and filling in, and I think about our families. There are a lot of families with small kids that have a hard time getting here, and I can't help but wonder, would they be more engaged if their kids were, you know, had a teacher that was prepared every single week? I've got two small boys in our kids' ministry, and they benefit immensely from that. They come home, and every week, at least my oldest, who kind of comprehends stuff, he's always got a story to share from the Bible And sometimes it's not always like the way the Bible story went, because he has an imagination. Apparently there's a skeleton king in the book of Ezekiel with the vision of dry bones. Um, I know it wasn't taught that way, but that's just him. And I just can't help but think, man, how many kids could have that experience if we just had a few people that were like, yes, I want to invest and build the body in this way. Or I think of our Warren Achievement friends who aren't with us here this morning, not because they don't want to be, but because they don't. Have a ride. Uh, we have a bus ministry for a number of years that would pick them up and bring them here. But after COVID, a lot of things kind of got shut down and up in the air. And so we've been trying to restart that and we've sent out a mass email. I've asked people specifically, but we just haven't found people willing to drive to go pick them up and to bring them here. And that's part of our body. I mean, if I, if I were missing my pinky, my body would notice, right? Like playing guitar would be a little more challenging. The worship music, admittedly, is not that hard. I'd probably figure out a way to do it. But our body is missing a pretty significant part of itself, and we are lesser for them not being here. And, and I'm not sharing all of these things as like a guilt trip of just trying to get people to volunteer. I'm sharing these things because despite all of this, this is still a pretty healthy church. We don't have divisions. We don't have infighting. We don't have people that, you know, raising heck over unrealistic expectations. We have people that love being here and love each other. There's a good vibe when you walk in the door. Our metrics, by any metric, we're doing well, despite our challenges. And I just can't help but imagine what in the world could we do if as faithful people we took this teaching seriously and we said, Jesus has equipped me and I want to foster unity and thrive in this church. Man, that's exciting. I hope that's the way this comes across because it's a really exciting opportunity just to see how big of an impact Christ could make in our community if the body fulfilled its calling individually. Does that make sense? Yeah, I got a little off there, so my words are a little weird. All that to say, this is a really important teaching. And the thing that really drives home the importance to me is not just the benefit it has for us as a community, as a church body, but the benefit it has for us as individuals as well. In fact, I would even argue that our participation in the joint ministry of the church is essential to our individual spiritual development and growth. Now, spiritual growth is a term that some people define different ways. We talk about it in different ways. Sometimes we say take our next step. Sometimes we say spiritual health. Sometimes we talk about spiritual development. We're all talking about maturity here. And that's the term that Paul references as he continues in Ephesians. Let's look at verse 14. He says, then, and that means we got to look at the previous statement, the previous idea. So when we're all functioning together, building the church up together in unity, that's how we reach maturity. Then, we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful schemes. So what he's talking about there, if you want to picture like a little tiny tugboat or something in a vast ocean, And the storm blows in and the waves just kind of crash all over the place. That boat just gets thrown all over the place, right? Or I think of my kids in the bathtub and their little toy boats and my youngest just like splashing and getting water everywhere. And that boat's just thrown all over the place. That's kind of what we're like in a world without a strong rooted faith. These different teachings and different ideas and different notions come in and they crash against it and they kind of throw us all over the place. You don't really know what's true, what do I believe, you know, where is God in this situation, how do I make sense of this going on in the world? And without a firmly rooted and mature faith, we can easily just be tossed all over the place in the world. But maturity is what brings stability to our lives and our faith. When we have that spiritual maturity and development, we're no longer deceived by, you know, schemes or or false ideas. We just have this steadfast understanding of what is true and right in God's eyes. And that spiritual development and maturity is a side effect, as as we read earlier, of partnering together and building up the church in unity. In other words, service is good for our own individual development. You might think about it uh, like, like a body, Sometimes we assume that in the, you know, the body we have to eat healthy things and do healthy things in order to be healthy. That's a good game plan, right? Diet and exercise. But what if we just consume things? What if it's just intake? Like we just take in and take in and take in, and that's how we're going to be healthy, right? That's how we're going to grow. If we just take in and take in and take in, we're going to grow, right? But it may not be in a healthy direction. And sometimes we treat our spiritual growth and development in that same way. Like we think, t- take it in, take it in, intake, intake if i just read the bible more if i join another small group if i join another class if i read another book if i read, listen to another podcast like that's how i'll grow i'll just take in and take in and take in and i'm not going to discourage you from reading the bible please read the bible please take a class as we grow in understanding those are crucial components to spiritual health but intake and intake and intake is not necessarily going to develop healthy growth in our lives or maybe a better example I apologize. I'm a little frazzled this morning. Bear with me. So we've got these, these Legos, okay, my son and I. We love playing with Legos. And when he got a, a new set of Legos a couple weeks back, what we did is we opened it up and we put all the blocks in a pile and we, we put the instruction book down and we read through the book, right? We read through the instructions. We had a good understanding of how it was supposed to be, but we thought, you know, let's read through the instruction book again. So we read through it. And then what we said was, you know what, we want a better understanding of the instructions. We really want to grasp this. So then we read a book about the instructions. And then after we read the book about the instructions, we listened to a podcast about the instructions, just to make sure it was clear. And then we thought, you know what, we need need to take a class on these instructions to make sure it's crystal clear. So we took a class every Wednesday night at 6 o'clock on the instructions for the Legos. And then after the class was done, we said, that was a really good use of our time. We need to talk about this. So we joined a Facebook group about the instructions for the Legos, and we shared our individual experiences of the instructions. And after we had done all that, we felt we had a good grasp of the instructions, we looked at that pile of untouched Legos, and we said, you know what, I'm really glad we did this. This was a good time, right? That's not how you play with Legos, is it? Is that going to be an enjoyable time? No. Now, what my five-year-old and I did was we, we looked at the instructions, and we would look at a little bit of it, and then we would do it. And then we would look a little bit more, and then we would do that part of it, and we wound up building this really great, wonderful, entertaining thing because we took the instructions and put them into practice. So, how does this relate to spiritual growth? Sometimes we get in our heads, like I said, intake, 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 that's how I grow and I develop, but at some point, the reality is you have to put the Bible down and do what it says. When it says, love your neighbor, okay, I got that, go love your neighbor. When it says, go serve, put it down, go serve. You know, we have these callings in Scripture. There's 88 one another statements in Scripture, love one another, be patient with one another, bear with one another, serve one another, and so on. And we can really do the study to understand the depths of what that means, and that's fantastic, but all the study in the world without application, without output, is not going to result in mature faith, the same way that reading those instructions again and again did not result in something beautiful and entertaining. We have to put this stuff into practice. And so here's where all this is going, okay? Our individual spiritual growth depends on output to some extent. It depends on taking what Jesus tells us in Scripture and then doing it. That's the key to maturity. And, and really, the, the case study is Him, okay? The maturity, Christ, being like Him, that's the end goal, is it not? So we look at Jesus. How did He live His life? How did He become the person we seek to emulate? Was it by reading and reading and reading and reading and then going to classes and going to seminars and sitting in sermons and listening to podcasts? Or in Mark 10:45, He say, I did not come to be served but to serve. And I give my life as a ransom for many. Jesus, the object of our affection and our goal, served. So if our goal as mature believers is to be like Him, we too must serve. That's the calling upon our lives. That's where Paul is heading here. If we want to be a healthy, unified church, it requires all the individual parts fulfilling their individual roles. And as a side effect, we all grow and mature in the process until verse 16 comes to to pass. It says, From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work in other words the church as a whole grows healthier it grows more unified it grows more capable of being that example of unity in the world as each individual piece participates so here's the calling here's the action step for this week let's serve i mean we we listen to sermons every week many of us at least 50 to 60% of us according to our stats join a small group a big ch- i think we had like 30 people in a Sunday school class this morning it was awesome We're growing. We have the intake. So let's take the next step and let's serve. Let's take these truths. Let's put them into action. Let's serve children. Let's drive a bus. Let's serve coffee. There are people that participate in an administrative aspect and help with the board. There are people that help in in organizing service projects. I had somebody this weekend ask, hey, there's a lady in town who can't come home until she has a wheelchair ramp built. Could the church help out? I said, let me make some calls. By the way, if you want to build a ramp, let me know. I'm still looking for people. There's so many opportunities to put this faith into practice. And in the process, the church benefits and grows and thrives, and we as individuals grow and thrive. That's the calling that we have here in Scripture. I feel like this was like clear as mud, guys. Somewhere around the 10-minute mark, my outline just like left my head. So let's just pray. Let's call it a day. (laughs) Father, thank you for grace. Thank you for forgiveness. You found us when we were distant, and you made us your own, and you brought us into your family. And we experience so much joy as part of your family. But I pray that that joy wouldn't be fully expressed in just us gathering I pray that it would be expressed as we love on one another in our attitudes. I pray that it would be expressed as we serve side by side. I pray that you would work through these efforts, that you would take them no matter how lacking or imperfect they may be, and that you turn them into something beautiful through your power and through your grace. And through this mutual work, Lord, I pray that the community would see you, that they would notice the unity in this place, the love, the affection in this place, the steadfastness in this place, Father, and I pray in each of us individually as we work in service of this common goal, you would mature us and grow us until we look like Christ fully, that his heart would be within us, that his mind would be within us, that we would live our lives according to the pattern that he's left us, because in that you are most fully glorified in our lives, and that's our goal. Father, we love you and trust you in all these things. Amen.